book of John, chapter 11. Like I said, one of my favorite stories, but they're all my favorite stories. <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, great solid points that one can find in the uh, canonical, can canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, in the book of John comes the seven I am statements, and one of them we'll see today. Specifically, he talks and highlights a couple more of those. But in the, in the image up there, this is what you will see if you travel to what is um, suspected to be Lazarus's tomb. I pulled this image off of Wikipedia, off the internet. We know everything on the internet's true, right? So, uh, no. <laughs> Uh, that being said, though, I hit on it this morning. I love looking at New Testament. You get it a little bit with the Old Testament. With the New Testament, you can physically get on a plane, fly on the other side of the, of the world, and visit these places stamped in history that talk about where our Savior walked and the miracles that he performed, and one of them with his friend Lazarus. Before we get in, I just want to bring it back down, so I'll open us up in prayer. Again, I'm just a vessel, right? So we want him to be, first and foremost, no no, dis no distractions from the back row back there. But uh, as we get in the word, obviously, just give him the exaltation he deserves and is required of us. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, we just thank you again as the opportunity to get into your word. But Father God, show us what you want us to see in this, this passage, Lord. We know it's truth. And we're going to hang on that. But, Lord, there's more that we can pull to be applicable in our life today, to put in practice today. That way tomorrow we can look back and say we hit, we, we accomplished great things in your name. And we can continue to work forth toward that goal that you've called us to, as we've seen this morning. And, Lord, Father God, I don't know what those are, but you do. You surely do. And you know anyone that's here that my voice falls upon today, as well as that the, they're watching on the, the streaming and the technology that we're granted in this day, Lord, that they have a calling, they have a purpose, you love them, and that they have a limited amount of time to come to a saving knowledge of you. Well, Father God, and we pray that if they don't have that, they reach out to one of us, that they ask the questions necessary to gain that. Oh, Father God, we know your mercy and your grace. You'll provide that salvation. And Lord, we thank you for that. And as we get into your word, Lord, be exalted, be blessed, and, and turn that blessing back to us if you so desire that we can take it with us when we depart from this place. Amen. Verse 1 opens up. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the t in, uh, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that that Mary, which appointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was now sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. No more than already in the first three verses, we see a, the building block of the foundation of who these people are. This is not just someone that they've had some passing by, right? This is, this is a relationship that Jesus has built. We know Jesus was close with his disciples. We know Jesus had uh, siblings that he was close with. But this is a friendship that through time and experiences have been built. Lazarus has felt ill, and the sisters know that his best friend, he whom thou lovest, is sick. Now, Jesus and God is all about love in his word. But this is more specific. This is a the, the the other side of love, not just love your neighbor, not just you know love and, and take care and provide for them, but this is your best friend. I've used an example. Lazarus and Jesus present day would be probably the friendship to throw the football around on a Saturday afternoon, the Sunday afternoon. They're close. And Mary and Martha saying, Jesus, your friend is sick. You love him. And they're calling for him. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Understand, Jesus, even in his earthly form, had a, a knowledge much greater than we possess. 
We talked about that a little bit this morning about having a faith so strong and anchored that the society in which we live in can't throw us off course. Jesus was that ultimate example. He had he had that structure. He had the relationship with the Father, right? But he's telling his disciples who he's on a mission with in 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 a in a place probably a few hours away that yeah, he's sick, but this sickness is not going to lead to death. But for the glory of God and the Son, he, he'll be glorified. Jesus already knows, hey, we're just going to see some great things. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, second time within the first five verses, we see that word love. Jesus is not just throwing that around because it's a love for people, but a deep friendship with these individuals. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Again, you heard me today. I bounce around, right? But Jesus was on a mission. He was doing something. He was working. And even after he got the message that his best friend was sick, he didn't just leave. He stuck around to finish his work for two days, it says. Now, a couple of theories, and we'll be able to maybe talk about them uh, later, but but Jesus has some reasons. He always has his reasons to doing things, but he already said that regardless in the place that God would be glorified, but he's sticking around and not just running to Mary and Martha's defense. He's not just running and saying, oh, Lazarus, let's, let's do what I can do, right? He's saying, listen, I got work to do. I'm doing my, God, my, my, my father's work. I'm with the 12 here. We're going to do this for two days. We're going to stay where we are and we're going to do this for two days. And in, in verse 7, then, then after he had said that to his disciples, let us go into Judea again, his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you there, and, and goest thou thither again? Again, I, time and time and time again, the 12 disciples with Jesus, it's like, man, someone just needed to hit them with some, some holy love, right? Every time Jesus would go to talk to him, he's like, guys, I've told you this. Right, guys, I've told you this. And, and, and what Jesus points out here is, is saying, listen, it's now time to go back to, to check on our friend Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha. And, and his disciples are like, but, but, but you can't go back there because they've tried to stone you. And again, as we saw how Paul was anchored today on the shipwreck, knowing that God had a, a purpose for him, Jesus ain't afraid of getting stoned in Judea. Because whether he had known to this point or not where his cup was and where it lied, he knew it wasn't going to be stoned in Judea. So he says, listen, we get this confusing somewhat, but Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Again, another principle that these disciples, even us day to day, we can't necessarily see and, and comprehend light in us. What, Jesus, what are you talking about, right? We, we don't understand and again, we go back and we can point that in verse 4, God said my, that God might be glorified thereby. Jesus is just laying some breadcrumbs down. He's laying them down, and he's hoping that by the time this all comes together, that they're revealed, and some revelation comes upon them, fill them with light by using a, an example of this. And I don't, I don't worry about going there. I'm not sneaking around here at nighttime. I'm going to walk in in the day. And I'm not going to stumble because the light is in me. Father's in me, and that's where we're going. And in, in verse uh, 11, These things said he that after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. And again, here we see the disciples. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. And in verse 13, How be it Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. And we don't understand, but understand to Jesus, death is but a sleep as we pass from one place to the next. But Jesus is trying again to, to pull the disciples along and, and say, hey, get out of the world that we live in. And it brings me to my first point. We have an earthly vision that needs eternal glasses. The disciples are still living. They're being called, right? They're being um, brought in by the Messiah. They don't even know yet. They don't really even fully realize. But what Jesus is telling them is we have bigger things and you're still looking at earthly things. And, and today still, today still, we have an earthly vision 
that we need to put on some eternal glasses. And in verse 15, Jesus says, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Again, Jesus' attitude changes here, much like the centurion this morning on the ship. Because where a couple days ago when the message first hit him, Jesus is like, we've got work to do. We're going to continue to work. He just sleeps. But then Jesus comes back to his disciples and say, yeah, he sleeps, but now we've got to go. So let us go. And then the disciples are like, but but Jesus, you're going to get stoned there. I'm not worried about that. But Jesus, aren't you going to maybe go at nighttime where they don't see? Nope, I'm not going to the cover of darkness for this. He says, because I'm glad I was not there. Because maybe you will believe. Jesus and Jesus' motivation here is to set up something bigger for them to believe already. Something so great that they take with them as they continue their journeys that Jesus is getting closer and closer to the point of knowing they will be on their own. So Jesus is trying to prep them the best he can to go without him. And he's showing them that their earthly vision needs eternal glasses. My question here is what daily moments occur that we miss because Christ is not with us? Things happen every day. There's verses in there that says that that if you are are, uh, gracious to a stranger, you may have entertained that of angels. How many opportunities do we miss that because we've we've forgotten to fully clothe within the, the Lord's armor and we forgot to put on our earthly glasses or we forgot to put on our heavenly glasses, sorry, We still put on our earthly glasses, right? We're still seeing on our earthly vision, not that that we gain as we become mature in Christ. And in verse 16, even that now we see, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto the fellow disciples, well, let us all also let us go that we may die with him. (laughs) This is doubting Thomas, but this is another form of Thomas that we see. He's like, okay, well, let's go. They're going to kill him. We'll, We'll get killed too. And I'm like, man, I often say to myself, if I was one of the 12, if I was around one of the 12, would I be any different? And I hate to say it, probably not. Probably not. Because even as much as we would have heard from those stories passed down from the elders, read from those scrolls that passed on, we have the Messiah in the flesh here. Would we have recognized it? Would we have recognized this is the Messiah? We've, we've heard about it, but would we have recognized it in the flesh? I don't know. When going on in verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Nothing any different than anything that would occur today. There was a passing of a loved one. They're going to share their condolences. And, and give their sympathies to the sisters, Mary and Martha. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. On this part two, I want to see the exchange of the sisters, right? We see that Martha, as soon as she hears Jesus has come, she's going out to see him. And it says, then Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. And said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. They believe Jesus. Remember the relationship they've established. They would have known the great things Jesus has done, would do, maybe talked about a little bit because there's a a, a more intimate friendship there between Mary, Martha, and Jesus and Lazarus. She knows, she's like, man, if you would have just been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even that even now, whatsoever that will ask of God, God will give it thee. Again, she's almost not, not bragging, but she's like, I even know that he's powerful. And if I ask it now, you'll give it. Like, I believe your father that you, you speak of and you're here and you're on a different track. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And listen to this. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again. In the resurrection at the last day, they even understand that there's coming the day we'll all rise. Like, she's got this. She's not like the disciples that have to have it repeated. She knows. But she's still saddened by the loss of her brother. 
And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. One of the great I am statements that we see here. I am the resurrection. Jesus, a couple days earlier with his disciples doing God's work, not mentioning this statement, but in the right time, he's letting it be known. A foreshadowing event that would come. He himself dying on the cross only to be resurrected again to life. And Martha understands this in that day. She does still not understand this day. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? He questions her and she saith unto him, Yeah, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she said, had this so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come and calleth for thee. Other translations call him, The teacher has come. The great teacher has come. Point two, even though we know his power, we often doubt. Even though Mary and Martha knew his power, they doubted. How often do we, similarly, as we see the exchange with Martha, argue when Jesus is trying or the, that, that message, that subtle voice is trying to tell us, go here. Yeah, but do you really want me to go there? Take the message here. Yeah, but do you really want me to say that? I want you to go talk to this person. Her? Him? Really? I, are you sure? Me? How often do we battle back and forth with God instead of just say, okay, okay, that's where you want me to go. That's what you want me to say. That's how I'm supposed to say it. I'll go. I got this. But we often do the same thing. Now, when we see Mary coming forth in, in verse 28, and when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly. Verse 29, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. So as we get this picture, right, maybe the house over here, and maybe Jesus was walking down the pathway into the area, and then the tomb was maybe this way, right? So he's still distant from the crowd. Martha had met him before the crowd, you know, engrossed within him. So then Mary come out, or Martha came out to tell Mary, so then Mary's coming out. And, and we see this, that in verse 31, the Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary that she arose so hastily and went out, followed her, saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. And then when, and then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Understand, like Paul making tents at the games to be around the people that needed it most. Here we have a large crowd of Jews, Jews in the house consoling Mary and Martha, Jews in the place by the tomb, and here's Jesus walking in. And we get such a, that whoever wrote it, whoever gets the credit for John, man, they, they pieced it together beautifully because we can see the scene. We've maybe even been there ourselves present day, how that scene looks. And there's just, it's not chaos, it's, but it's tension. There's an uneasiness in the room, in the area, in the city. And it's just, what do we do? And here Mary falls at his feet. And says, if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I've often wondered with this point. Jesus wept, verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. So if it comes up in biblical trivia, you got it. But Jesus wept. Jesus Christ was a human being, fully capable of feeling all emotion, even though he was the Son of Man. 
He groaned deep in his spirit upon now the second sister coming out and just falling at her feet, knowing that regardless of everything he's tried to teach, everything he's tried to show them, they don't get it. He is trying to tell them, don't you believe me? What more must I do to show you? Which is my third point. What would it take to convince you of His saving grace? At what point do we say, okay, I believe this is the Son of Man. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He died for me. And that bloodshed was not in vain, but I've got to turn from my wrongdoing, my sinful life I lead, and I've got to be fully committed unto Him and Him only. He's grown deeply in spirit because even the closest of his friends, not his disciples he's trying to teach, the closest of friends are hurting. And he weeps for them. Now, I don't want to miss verse 34 when he says, And said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. You see verse 35, Jesus wept. And in verse 36, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. The Jews are starting to pick up who Jesus is. But yet, and some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Man, how some in a situation see how great he truly is not just the relationship and the level of love that he has for this, this family, but, but some would just say, oh, well, here he is. He, he, he cured some blind men, but I guess he's not capable of even being here to respond to a call, so he's, he's allowed his friend to die. And they just constantly... Jesus finds himself with his heavenly glasses and heavenly vision always in a win-win. As he said earlier, listen, I'm glad I wasn't there for God's going to be glorified. For Jesus, it's a win-win. He's walking around here and he's like, you guys may doubt it, but I'm about to show you something real. And they're like, he sleeps, he dies. I don't get this guy. Sisters are crying. He's crying. What is going on? In the world's vision, Jesus is always in a lose-lose. There's always going to be someone say, but could he not have done more? Should he not have done more? Why didn't he just come? Again, in our earthly vision, we will always question the calling. We will always question and doubt that he's going to provide the provisions. But when we recognize the true calling on our life and, and the power that live within us as children, we then can begin to put on the heavenly goggles and see, wow, this is way bigger than I. This is something that we will look back on and only be capable of God. And therefore, he become, he, be, he, he get the glory. And in verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto the Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. I spoke on it this morning. That stench of loss, the stench of death versus the, the sweet smelling of salvation. It was important enough here to note that man has been dead for four days. Are you sure you want to roll that rock away? Because we're liable to clear the whole place. And Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Yet again, woman, I said move the rock. Let's see what's on the other side of the rock. Now before we go on, let's ponder ever so slightly. Here's Lazarus. He's dead for four days. Right? Some scriptures say to be present with the Lord is to be absent from the body, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I know that maybe some, some theory, theology in there that question later, but Lazarus is dead. 
be it in the bosom of Abraham, be it in, in glory, be it wherever Lazarus is seeing glory. But I question, if Lazarus hears his name from Mary and Martha, is he just going to come back? He's in glory. The only thing that could pull him back from glory is the Son of Man. But also, if this man had passed and was not a believer, after the time of passing, it's too late. And, and, I, and I only say that because C.T. Studd, one of the old theologians, he said, you know, I'd much rather be known as, a, as someone who goes right to the gates of hell to find salvation and pull them from it, knowing I'm working every day to the end of my life. That way, even upon my death, the, 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 the devil rejoices because I'm no longer a warrior on the battlefield fighting for Jesus Christ. Understand if Lazarus had not known God, had not known the glory, had not made those decisions and what he needed to make done in his lifetime, he would not have been in heaven and glory. He would have been in hell and it's a real place. But now we have an opportunity to see on the other side of the rock. And I love the next few lines where we hear Jesus speak, right? We see Jesus give the example of what we're to do. In verse 40, again, Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Jesus is giving the glory and the praise unto his Father, and he is doing it out loud, audibly. He's not hiding it from anywhere. Understand, there's a large crowd of Jews. He is all out in the open for all to see. And in verse 42, And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. See, now we have, we have to. If we're in that crowd, there is no way that we can hear this situation and have earthly goggles on. Because this is God having an open dialogue with his son. And his son is saying, I am standing here today and I am saying it loud, loud, even though, listen, there's no doubt in me. I know you hear me. We're open here. We're right here. But I'm doing this today so that all of these people would believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come Forth, And he that was dead come forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Lazarus heard a familiar voice. And when he heard that familiar voice, he got up and he returned to the place at which he had left. That's the power of that Jesus showed because of his sending. That's the glory he spoke on to his disciples earlier that you're glad I'm not there because you're about to see something great. Now let's go there. Let's do this. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Amen. But you know, I often again question many, many, not all, not all but one, just many. We don't get half, we don't get two thirds, we don't get any more detail, but many came to believe and praise the Lord for that, that many came to believe. But what else would it have taken for the others to have believed? How stubborn are we that even in our life, we don't believe and we see great things from him. Every day. But again, we're living with our earthly vision on this side of the rock. 
not the other side. Now, there's only one other verse, and it's in like 12, chapter 12, where Lazarus is mentioned, and, and story and theologians believe that he, he had to leave. He had to leave from this place uh, to spare his life. Because as we're about to see the point that I really have never noticed, right, post this great miracle, this great foreshadowing of the resurrection of what is to come, Jesus' death and, and the defeat of death that Jesus will have for us, his believers, right? But this is oftentimes where we end this story. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. And when we continue on in verse 47, they gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we for this man doeth many miracles? Again, remember Paul, pre-Damascus Road Saul, he knew the law. He knew what was capable. He knew that even though he had heard the stories of so a Messiah coming, that it would mean complete upheaval from the world in which they know it. And as we should expect from the Messiah, the Savior of the world, right? But these that went that didn't believe just came to tell the, the wise people, the wise religious people, right? The Pharisees and Sadducees and everybody. And, it, and if we let him thus alone, in verse 48, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. That's the point, ladies and gentlemen, that I've never noticed and caught before studying this week. Now, in this given time, right, we know the Romans were the leaders of the current world. Easily affixed in the middle, easy atop battle, easily atop the commerce, easily atop trade and, and finances, right? We knew, like Paul's trying to get to Rome, right? Rome is the place. And he says... If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. I had to look back on some commentaries. Our place refers to the church, the synagogue, right? The religious place in which they go to be taught, right? They are having to protect their way of life because they're now infringed upon by the Messiah, they're no longer needed to, to perform sacrifices and collect money to do and perform this feel-good service of you going and leaving out this place, right? Because once the Messiah comes, they're no longer needed. So they fear for not only their jobs and their livelihood, but what it would mean. And our nation, right? The Romans, they knew that if there was upheaval and chaos, right, the Romans would just come in and shut it down. They knew the Romans would come in and just say, you can't do that. But go back, why? They knew that they would believe Him. The miracles were real. Roman history, folks, is real. We can look it up. Furthermore, backing up and defending the case that the Bible is real. And if we're going to have the faith like Paul had to say, I believe in God and I'm going to this place, he knew, they knew how powerful that belief would be. So I question you. Do you want to reclaim your nation? Do you want to reclaim your church? Do you want to reclaim your community? Here's how you do it. You believe on him. You open your hearts. You put on your eternal goggles. You shed away this citizenship we have here for what is greater to come. And you just let him lead. And you let him guide you and direct you to the place that he will take you. Verse 49, and one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider it that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. He's basically calling out now the first plot to kill Jesus. 
And in chapter 12, that plot also includes Lazarus. Because if you take away the evidence, what do you mean he raised Lazarus? Show me Lazarus. Right? Because they knew that they would have to kill the one sent and the miracle, the, rec the recipient of the miracle. But you know what? What he did that day was already done. He, he poured it out for all men to see. Verbally, visibly, with his father, eyes affixed above. And he showed them, you have a choice. You believe me in the power in which my father sent me. Or you believe the world. Now, I don't know about you. But scripture says there's coming a day of great apostasy. And it's been so often reported, you can read any type of magazine, any type of social media platform, and, and there's this, this ball of unknown, right? And for, for true believers, they'll see this, and they'll be able to encourage the other brothers and sisters they know, that's not real. That's not sound doctrine. Easy as you go there. That Are you sure that's the path God's calling you on? But for a few, they will simply always go against God. Because nothing could convince them to believe him. Folks, this is Jesus in the flesh, a crowd, and they still can't believe when a dead man for four days walks out of a tomb. We will face opposition in this world. And the only way we can overcome that opposition is if we can truly put on our eternal goggles, if we can truly know his power know the capability, and also know that that lies within us as his children. Scripture says we're heirs to the throne. The book of Daniel talks about uh, archangels fighting on our behalf of the spiritual warfare that we are up against. And in 2020, I believe that's not preached enough. Because people my age and younger, we care only about us. We haven't been able to let go of self to even be able to be taught some of the other essential building blocks to build a strong foundation. So we have to reclaim our community. We have to reclaim our church. We have to preach sound doctrine. And we have to continue forth, not only saying we believe, but living out our belief, knowing that that's the only way to see change, positive change, change that we want to be a part of. And sometimes we get caught up just wondering if we'll go way of the grave or flying away like we sung this morning. I told somebody one time, they said, have you ever looked up Revelations? Yeah, I've read a lot of Revelations. I've never really preached anything in Revelations. I haven't been called to preach anything in Revelations. And he asked me, he said, why do you think that is? And I said, well, you can look back on Old Testament states. You know, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah, as his prophet, his calling was just, just, listen, go prepare them for the wrath that cometh to them. It wasn't a good message. And he carried the weight that he took every time with him. Right? But then we saw other prophets like Gideon, who Gideon would come forth, and they he would get lots of people behind him and camped with him. Right. And they're about to go and take over this that God's calling them to take. And he says, yeah, that's too many people. I won't be glorified in that because they'll say you were strong enough. Right. So then he, he dwindles them from 30,000 down to 10,000, down to 500, down to 300 people. And they're able to go and take down everybody there because Gideon listened to God and God gave him the plan. And he was able to get it done and show the world that it was on nobody else but Jesus Christ. Sometimes our message is not going to be enjoyed. 
Sometimes our message is going to be all but that as enjoyable. Sometimes we're going to have a message of doom and gloom, but it's not just doom and gloom. It's because you still have time to make a decision. Why won't you just believe? But are we going to be that one that just says, well, I talked to them. I talked to them. They didn't believe. Did you make it convincing? Is your life showing them that it's worth it? Because we know eternal life is going to be worth it. But is the life we live today, the attitude in which we take on each problem, the way we focus, right? Do we groan in the spirit for those that don't understand the things of God? Because if we don't, we need to get to that point. We have to get to the point where our knees hurt because we're praying so greatly for our neighbors and our family members who are lost. And that, when I look back on this, I was like, that's what you wanted to show us. I don't care what cartoon commercial propaganda news you see between now and November. If any decision is the most important decision we'll make in the next 40 years, it requires the prayer and, and the solemn prayer and the solace prayer to get on our knees and pray who we should be making that decision for. And if any decision in the workplace or in our family and our finances is that important, then we need to be on our knees praying that God lead us to the decisions we need to make. But do you believe and do you live the belief are two different things. And we saw that with Martha and Mary. They believed, they knew Jesus. But until they saw the power firsthand with their brother coming from the grave. Now a little sneak peek also, right? We know that Lazarus heard the voice and came. And I'm going to wrap up with this sentiment. Somebody told me this morning, they said, you, you kind of sound like your dad. And I know when he calls, it says dad. And I know when it calls, it says my wifey, right? But regardless, if I didn't see who it was, I, I, I hear the voice. I know who it is when I have a relationship with them. When a call comes in to work and I answer it, oh, hey, Mike, how you doing? We've built a relationship there. And sometimes I answer the phone, hey, John, how you doing? And they're like, who's this? Well, you don't recognize me? It's Jeremiah. And they're like, how do you recognize my voice? Well, I know your voice. I know you. You don't know me. And the question I want to flip is, if Jesus called you today, would you recognize his voice? But quite opposite, if you call upon Jesus, would he know your voice? Would it truly be the first time you called upon him? And if it is, praise God, he's going to hear you. And he, he wants you to know. He wants to live in your heart today. But after that, each and every day, you have to build yourself a relationship with him so that you know and you can hear his voice. So that way, when he calls you to something, you hear it clearly. So that also when he says, Come on home. You can say, ready to go. And I truly believe there's going to come a time when maybe the doors of the church are shut down, locked up. Maybe they'll try to do away with some of these books, even though it's the greatest selling book of all time. Maybe they'll try to limit what you can download, even though it's the most downloaded app anymore of all time. Right? Right? But when they do that, will the world still be able to know who Jesus is because of your actions? Another clever quote that I heard one time. This life is the most hell I will ever live. But for some, this is the most heaven they will ever experience. And when we ponder on those things, that should scare the light out of us. That should light a fire so deep that we've got to go and capture the lost. And we've got to continue talking. We've got to continue praying. And I know I'm being redundant in these last few minutes, but 
understand the importance. If Jesus himself knows that he has power over death, what are you scared of? There's not a place, there's not a person, there's not anything that you should be called upon. Because guess what? Like Moses, like Noah, like all the examples in Scripture, he will give you the resources at the given time. Because you're his child. Never limit the power of God because you're not fully ready. He'll equip you on the way. The word will become so clear and so vividly, you won't be able to go back and, what was that? And I'm reminded of one story when I was in Africa. Woody, woody. A Swahili for knock, knock. There's just curtains on the door. My interpreter, John Warwoo, and the lady that was with the church that was coming with us were coming in, and he's talking some Swahili with her, and I'm like, what's going on? Oh, she's hurting in her spirit. She wants to pray to receive Jesus. Praise the God. Do I need to even do the cube? Does she know? Yeah, do the cube with her, right? So we're walking through. You know, Jesus came and he lived. He lived a perfect life from a virgin birth and he died on the cross, right? Blood shed for you. And very easily, you come to know him if you just call upon him and he'll come and live in your life. I want to do that. She says she wants to pray. And soon we begin to hear another language from down the hallway a little bit. And I turn to John. I'm like, John, what's going on over there? He goes, I don't know. I don't speak that language. So the lady who's timid and scared, because this is her first door-to-door action, right? Even though she was from that area, this is her first time coming out with some crazy Muzungu white guy, right? To go and share the message of the gospel to these people who don't know it. And she's down here and she's like, what do I do? And John's like, just go talk to her. I can't understand her language. So after we, we take care of what we have with this lady and she gave her life to Christ, praise the Lord, new sister that we have that we'll rejoice, rejoice with in one day. He goes down the hallway and I'm sitting here and I'm like, John, do I need to say anything? He said, brother, I can't interpret it. He said, there's hundreds of languages, native languages, and that's her tribal tongue. She led that lady to Christ in her tribal tongue, literally 15 minutes from leaving the church, never doing this before just because she was able to see by example. It's very simple. This is the Savior of the world, your Creator, right? And as we're walking down the road, she goes, Is it that easy? Is there that much that we're not doing just by asking the questions? And John said, yeah. There was a a, a message, and I promise I'll finish up. There was a a survey come out. Norway, third party, right? Norway ran this this survey. It was in the the Christian News or the Guardian a couple of months ago that nearly 1.3 million converts in the country of Iran, where it is illegal, punishable by Ted, to even testify that you are a Christian. Possess a Bible, death. Cry, death. 1.3 million converts. And when asked of some of these people, they said, we grew up thinking and being taught that Islam was the, the religion of peace. Yet we hear so much distasteful stuff towards Christian." And that's not peace. And these Christians, they preach a different message from a Savior that we know as a prophet, but from a Savior that loves them and desires that each one of them come to know Him as a relationship, father and child. And we want a taste of that hope before it's too late. Listen, we have an opportunity to get a taste of that hope before it's too late. And if we don't, if we don't, if we're not serious about that, if we don't take that serious, then we are going to regret greatly when we are face to face with our Savior because He's going to say, you didn't water this one. You didn't harvest this one. I tallied it up for you. And you didn't do it. And their blood is going to be on our hands. I don't want that for any of us. And I don't want the fate of hell for any of us. But I'm not the one that saves. Jesus Christ is. Follow me in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, well, we just thank you again. 
humbled by the opportunity to be your vessel today, Lord. But Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. Oh, Father God, yeah, I was an example with Lazarus, your friend whom you raised, but Lord, you raised him for a, a greater motive, which was to glorify your father. Lord, Father God, you gave us the example to speak vivid, vividly and audibly to God and ask him for the resources. And Lord, today I ask that you breathe a life, a fresh breath into our lungs today, that when we depart from this place, that first person, that second person, that first person tomorrow when we get our coffee in the morning to head to work, if we so much as just feel the, mm, that they don't know you, that we have the boldness to ask. What's the worst thing that could happen? I know the best outcome. And that's we get to have a little party in heaven because your angels will rejoice when they come to know you. But Lord, even apart from that, I pray that you guide us, continue to guide us and give us the attitude in which we are supposed to live, the motive in which we're supposed to go into this world that you've called us to. But Father God, I pray that you give us and show us the direction, be it uh, with, with our workplace, with our family, with our neighbors, but Lord, we get the opportunity to believe in you and reclaim our church, our community, and our nation and begin to turn the eyes back to you. Well, Father God, I know that Brother Ben, your servant, is coming back and he's already got a revival plan for Jinx River Walk. I pray that you give 10 and 20, 30, 40 people that they have names on their hearts right now that they can invite to that outpouring of a revival that they can invite back to Sunday morning, that they can bring to the Wednesday night service, that they can bring into your house and then allow someone else to do the work because that's all you're calling them to do right now. But Lord, Father God, I also pray that you give them the strength, which I know you will, and the words to say to be the harvester as well. Because your word says the laborers are few. But Father God, I ask that you turn us into laborers today to labor in this world until we can labor no more. Father God, that when we, when we come to the time when we hear your voice and get to come home, we can truly find rest and relaxation because we worked for you every opportunity we had. Lord, give us this next few moments as we close up this prayer opportunity for you to move, for decisions to be made should they need to be made. Lord, but for names to be laid upon their hearts so that they know who to specifically pray for, who to specifically go to. I know you'll give it to them right now. But Father God, and I thank you for that, that you be glorified in that. And all these things we ask in the gracious name. Amen.